I understand you've been going through the book of Acts. And uh, the book of Acts is a great book, isn't it? There's so much in there. There's so much to dig your teeth into. And I'm especially thankful today you gave me Acts 5. This story of Ananias and Sapphira. Whenever I preach other places, you always, people always give me challenging texts. It really makes me think. But if you've got a Bible with you, do turn to the book of Acts. And we're actually going to go back a couple of verses to Acts 4 and verse 36. And then on through Acts 5. Acts 4.36 Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart? that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And a great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young men came forward, wrapped, him, wrapped up his body and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias paid for the land? Yes, she said, this is the price. Peter said to her, How could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. The saying goes that life is a game. When I was at university, we studied um, a module uh, all about people and how people interact. We looked at how they learned, how they communicated with each other. And one lecture uh, particularly stood out and still stands out to me today, and it was all around game playing. People play games. In every type of industry, in every type of company or school, and even in churches, people play games. Game playing is about when people try to bend the rules of a situation they're in to benefit themselves. It quite often involves deception and misinterpretation of the truth. The reason we had to study it was because in ministry you have to be aware of the games that people play. You have to be aware that depending on the experience and personality of the person, they will respond to situations in different ways. One of the ways that's been developed over the years is the, the drama triangle. It splits people's tendencies into three categories, rescuer, persecutor, and victim. Most people will have a tendency to play the role of one of these, with a secondary one close by. It explains a lot when you think about people and situations you may have found yourselves in. Maybe it explains a lot about yourself. People play games. If you can understand the game, and how they play, 
you can start to help direct it in a positive outcome. In pastoral ministry, this is needed to help people see with clarity where they are and why they're reacting like they are. It's great that we have these models that help us to understand what drives people to act in certain ways and to make the choices that they do, but they lose their usefulness if at the end of the day we use them as an excuse for the behaviour that we present. In today's passage, we see some appalling behaviour going on in the early church. It's a really tense episode for the young movement of believers. Two of their own drop dead in their midst. Two of their own have been playing a game and they've been found wanting. Two of their own have tried to make themselves greater than others and they've been found out. The tale of Ananias and Sapphira is a grim one which challenges our thoughts about God, his grace, and ultimately is a tale of justice. It all starts with an emotion that each of us has to grapple with each and every day. Envy. Envy is the enemy's game. Picture the scene. It's a cool, crisp evening, and the church is gathered as they usually do at the end of the day. People are talking noisily about the latest things that have happened in the life of the church. Two of the women in the corner can be heard. Did you hear Peter? Hear about Peter and John? No. What happened? Well, they were walking to the temple. The temple? That was a bit dangerous, wasn't it? Don't they know the kind of trouble they could get into? I don't think they, were, they had that concern. Have you not seen the kind of things that's happened through them? They walked to the temple and to the beautiful gate, and there was a man on the ground begging. He asked them for money, but instead... They said that they could only give him what they had. And in Jesus' name, get up and walk. That crippled man who had been there all those years, he he just got up and walked. Really? That's unbelievable. Believe it, because there he is standing over there. The conversation goes on and people are excited for all they have seen. But there is caution. Tales of Peter and John being called before the ruling class have also been going around. There is an uneasiness as their safety in Jerusalem is questioned. The church is, is starting to grow. It's starting to get quite big now. Each day, more and more are being added to their number. There are widows and orphans who need taking care of. They can't go to the temple anymore for help. They know who the Christians are. It's like they're marked or something. There is a buzz of excitement. People are in praise and worship. The air is filled with the sweet smell of incense burning, of praise and worship to God on high, to Jesus, their risen Lord and Saviour. You are surrounded by people who have seen the risen Christ, who walked and talked with him. The atmosphere is electric. But the enemy's game is envy. It always starts with a person, doesn't it? It always starts with someone coming in and hogging the limelight. We need to feed one another and help one another. It all started with Joseph. Joseph rose to the challenge from the church leaders. He owned a field and he sold it. He brought the money and he gave it to the leaders. And now everyone thinks he's the bee's knees. Everyone sees him as such an encourager. He really lives up to his name, doesn't he? Son of encouragement. Well... He's really found a way to encourage himself 
into everyone's good books, hasn't he? We should be like him, don't you think? Sophia whispers to Ananias. All the good we've done for these people, pouring the coffee, distributing the food. You even gave up your seat to that pregnant woman the other day. All these things that we have done. What gratitude do we get? We should be honoured as he is. We'll, well, we could, you know. We could do something like Joseph did. We could sell that house in the country. But we love that house. We love getting away there. Yes, but we don't have to give all the money away. It's worth a packet, you know. We could sell it, put a portion in the bank, just to tide us over. You can see that things are getting difficult. You can see that things are uncertain. Maybe we should make some provision for ourselves. We'll just tell them that we've sold the property and here is the money from it. I knew I loved you for a reason. You're so clever. The enemy's game is envy. Envy enters the church in the form of deceit. Ananias and Sapphira are envious of the attention that Joseph receives at the end of chapter 4. At the beginning of chapter 5, we see their envy turn to deceit. Verse 2, with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Deceit and lies have entered the life of the church in wanting to prosper themselves, in wanting to hold back for a rainy day, perhaps with good reason, the couple have brought sin amongst the believers. You see, the enemy's game is envy. We live spiritual lives, and there is a constant battle going on within us and around us. Peter sees the reality of the situation, perhaps through some word of knowledge given to him by the Holy Spirit. We believe in words of knowledge, don't we? We believe in prophecy, don't we? We believe that the same Holy Spirit is at work today as was in the early church. Then it's highly possible that this is what happened here. Peter receives a word of knowledge that Ananias has deceived the church and he challenges him on it. Verse 3. How is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the, the money you received from the land? Ouch. Peter has got him right away. Ananias has deceived the church, but also the Holy Spirit. Peter gets right to the heart of the matter, though. Who is the cause of the deceit? Who is the cause of it? Satan. The deceiver. The old serpent from the beginning of the story. That from the earliest times of humanity has taught to receive, to deceive and trick those who God created in his image to be holy. The enemy's game is envy. And the enemy is envious of the church. He is envious of what God is doing amongst them. He knows he's on the losing side. And he's striking out in the usual ways. He is envious and his attack is deceit. The enemy has whispered in the ear of Ananias and Sapphira. He has told them that they deserve better. He's told them they deserve to be greater. 
He's lied to them and told them they need to stockpile for the tough times ahead and that they can't rely on the church, that they can't rely on Jesus to be their everything. They've held back from giving their all in all and what they had and giving their all to God. In doing so, they have deceived themselves, deceived their friends, deceived their gods, their enemies. They've become enemies. And the enemy's game is envy. They allowed envy into their hearts. And it bore deceit. One summer morning in the 1920s, um, a Scotsman named Arthur Ferguson was standing idly in Trafalgar Square. Um, as, he, as he watched, an obviously well-to-do American began admiring uh, Admiral Lord Nelson and the column it rested on. And inspiration struck him in the moment. Ferguson put his remarkable selling ability to work and sold Nelson's column to the American tourist for $30,000, including the lions. But he didn't stop there. Not one to rest on his laurels, Ferguson went on from there to sell Big Ben to another American for $5,000 and took another $10,000 from yet another as down payment on Buckingham Palace. By the time Justice caught up with him, Ferguson had added the Eiffel Tower and Statue of Liberty to the list of his sales. He spent the next several years in prison for his remarkable deceptions. It's amazing what people will do, isn't it? Envy is the enemy's game. And do you know, deception is rife in the church today. The enemy still plays it. People are still deceived. People are tricked. People are swindled. Each and every Sunday, we, talk, we walk into our various churches around the country and we deceive ourselves, our friends, and our God. I do it. You do it. We all do it. Because we play a game and we wear a mask when we come, don't we? We try to make out like we have it all together. When 30 seconds before we walked in the door, we had had an argument with our spouse. Or we got frustrated with our children. When we walk into church like everything is going all right, when we're suffering, perhaps with anxiety, depression, or a new diagnosis... We greet each other with words of, life's great, it's okay, it's fine. When actually there is a possibility we're going to be laid off at work. Why do we do it? Why do we deceive one another? Why do we act like that? Sarah is a Christian and she's a church leader. Um, A successful businesswoman. She has uh, a great husband and great kids. She's well liked and respected in the church and the community. Karen is also a Christian. She's on the mission committee, uh, is a homemaker, has uh, various uh, charitable uh, organizations that she helps with, um, a great husband and great kids too. You look at the two of them and uh, there are some differences, but both are well-loved and well-respected. Yet under the surface, what you don't see is an envy that's grown. Karen is envious of Sarah. She is a homemaker. She has some time to give to charitable causes, but she wants what Sarah has. She might be on the mission committee, but she isn't a church leader. Haven't they seen all the work that she does? 
Haven't they heard how she prays in church? She's tried to do it like Sarah does, but, but no one seems to notice Karen. It all started with a, a comment here and a word there. Others started to stand in her corner, pushing for her to become a church leader. The leadership didn't feel it was the right time. They prayed and said, maybe in a little bit. Perhaps, why don't you come on our growing leaders course first? Be mentored. Perhaps by Sarah. She doesn't know how it happened, but the next thing she knew, she was making up stories about Sarah. Just small white lies, it, it wouldn't really matter. Just a few things here and there to tarnish Sarah a little. She didn't need all the limelight anyway. It would keep her humble. That was the excuse she gave herself. Before long, the lies had gotten bigger and bigger. Before long, she wasn't able to stop where it was going. Before long, the church was split with some on one side and some on the other. Envy is still the enemy's game. Perhaps a rather extreme example, but you get the image as to where these things can go. Envy breeds deception and deception breeds death. When we allow ourselves to envy one another, we allow the enemy a foothold into our lives. We allow the enemy to tell us that God isn't our ultimate hope and our resource, that we need something more, that if we were just like them, then it would all be okay. It would, if we were just like that other person, then we would have achieved and reached our success, our status. In many ways, when we hide the baggage of our lives away from one another, we deceive one another of our realities. We break the potential for true relationship with the church. Envy is still the enemy's game. The enemy's game leads us down a path which tells us we don't need God and we don't need each other. Ananias and Sapphira squirrel money away and they lied about their offering. They didn't give graciously and they didn't trust that the church would be there for them. That they would, wouldn't get what they needed out of the deal. They didn't trust that God was able to provide for their needs if they put him first. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't have savings. I'm not saying that we shouldn't make good investments. But don't do it with an attitude of deceit. Don't say you give 10% of your income when you only give 10% of your salary, but not your rental income from your property portfolio. F.E. Smith was a capable lawyer with a quick wit who served as the Attorney General from 1915 to 1919. On one occasion, he cross-examined a young man claiming damages for an arm injury caused by the negligence of a bus driver. Would you please show us how high you can lift your arm now, asked Smith. The young man gingerly raised his arm to shoulder, length, shoulder level, his face distorted with pain. Thank you, said Smith. And now could you show us how high you could lift it before the accident? The man eagerly shot his arm above his head. He lost the case. When we allow envy and deceit into our lives, we cheapen the grace that God wants to lavishly pour over us. And we cheapen ourselves. And God won't let us get away with it, just like he doesn't let Ananias and Sapphira get away with it. Envy is still the enemy's game. But justice is found in death today. Verse 5. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. 
There is great warning in this text, isn't there? But there is also great grace. We're told time and time again that the wages of sin is death. We're given an example after example in Scripture where God tells people what the consequences of their actions will be. He warns them, and they do it anyway. In 2 Samuel 6, we have the story of the Ark of the Covenant being brought to Jerusalem by King David. One of the oxen stumbles, and Uzzah reaches out to steady it, and he dies there and then, because God had clearly laid out that no one was to touch the Ark, or they would perish. God is a just God. God had said something was to be, and when that wasn't followed, the consequences were played out. Jesus has warned his followers that the wages of sin is death. In a very dramatic way, we have this played out in this story. The deception of Ananias and Sapphira, the selfishness and sin they have brought into the church has led to their death. It's a powerful reminder to the church, isn't it, that God means what he says. That if we allow sin to run our lives, we will ultimately bring death upon ourselves. For them it was in the literal sense. The grace we see of God in this text is poured out on the rest of the church. They are reminded, and we are reminded, that God is a just God. And they have been found wanting. It does jar with us though, doesn't it? Because it all seems rather instant, rather quick. Where are the chances for redemption or at least saying sorry? Where is the God of second chances in this story? We don't know if God smites them with a thunderbolt from heaven or if from the stress of being found out that they they have a heart attack. They could have been very elderly for all we know and not in good health. It has been shown that under extreme stress, people can have heart attacks. Whatever the cause, the point the scripture is making is the same, that sin leads to death. So don't let sin into your life. Don't let sin into your church. Don't let sin enter. But under the direction of the Holy Spirit, challenge one another. It starts in small ways. Challenge one another to be real and honest Challenge one another when they say everything is fine. Challenge one another to their realities. And if they are being honest with themselves. Now, I'm not saying go on a witch hunt here. Please don't start doing that. But walk alongside one another, allowing the Holy Spirit to bring healing and wholeness to each other. Because what you don't want is for things to fester. What you don't want is envy to creep into your lives. Each one of us here today has the potential for envy, the potential for deceit. You know it and I know it. Each one of us has the possibility of squirreling away some of who we are to keep for when the days get tough. Each of us has the potential to bring death into our lives. But justice was found and seen in Ananias and Sapphira for the rest of the church. At the end of the book of Job, Job sees uh, God's justice is ultimate. He says in Job 42 verse 5, My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. For anyone in the room that day, they hadn't seen the reality of Jesus, and that, that hadn't seen the reality of Jesus' death and resurrection. They saw it in the situation set before them that God means what he says. The challenge to us is to not allow death to creep into our lives. 
because it's all too easy. It's all too easy to allow the little things to creep in and for us to die a little each time. Envious thought here, an unkind word there. We do all these things because we don't feel we have the strength to cope with life ourselves. And you know we don't. Ananias and Sapphira didn't have the strength to cope with life themselves. And they had pushed God aside and tried to make something of themselves instead. If they could just make people see how good they were. If they could just make people see how encouraging they could be, as Joseph was, then perhaps it would be easier. For each of us today, we need to know that we can't do it alone. We need each other. But we also need to put our trust into God. Time and again over the past few months, I've come back to the words of Ephesians 3, verse 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Ananias and Sapphira didn't know this in their heart. They didn't live a life sold out to God. To the God who is able in the now to do immeasurably more. I think this is the message of the story. That when we turn our strengths and our resource over to God, we allow him to be able in our lives. That when we turn to the strengths and our resource, ourself, and make it seem like we have it all together, we allow death to enter in, slowly and surely. But if we choose the other route, we allow God to bring us life. What have you walked into church with this morning that you are deceiving yourself of, your friends of, or God of? Are you truly able to hold it yourself? Or do you know it's killing you? Is it bringing you death? Because God doesn't want you to carry it alone. He wants you to be able to put it at the foot of his cross. He doesn't want you to be deceived. He wants you to give it up and allow him to deal with it. This morning, will you give your burdens of your life to the one who is able to do immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine? Will you let his power work in you rather than the enemy to work against you? The Lord our God is able and he is here in the now, today. And he wants to lift the burden from you. Let us pray.